Amen. What a great, what a great blessing to hear of how the Lord has changed His life, and that's certainly the testimony of each of us. The different details, but a God who is gracious. I wish, wish we could do that every time before I preach. But um, let's uh, let's pray together as we consider God's word. Father, thank you for the blessing that it is to gather to worship you. Father, we thank you that you are a gracious Savior, that you change hearts and change lives, and we thank you for CB and his testimony and your work in his life, and we pray that you would continue the work that you've begun in him. Lord, now as we come to your word, we pray that you would give us open hearts, that we would be teachable and moldable, that we would be eager to apply it to our own lives, both individually and as a church, and uh, we just entrust our, our time now to you, come humbly to you, in Christ's name, amen. Well, it's a joy to be back with you today. I'm grateful for the opportunity, again, to be with you and to get to open God's Word together. Uh, you know, I think as we have celebrated Christmas, I, I, it's probably safe to assume that almost everyone, if not everyone in this room, had the joy of giving and receiving gifts this past week. I know uh, our family, my wife and five girls, had a great time with my parents and, and with the Banyuras, my sister, if you haven't made that connection, uh, that Jessica Banyura is my, my sister here with us, uh, visiting in town as a, a missionary coming back. But we had a great week, and I'm sure that that is the, the case for most of you. And, you know, I, I see a bunch of kids out there today, uh, in part with no Sunday school and those things. And I'm guessing that all of you had a great week. Some of you look a little bit tired, though, kids. So what I want you to do on the count of three, I want you to tell me, kids, what your favorite Christmas gift was that you received uh, this past week, okay? Can you do that? Are you awake enough to do that? Ready? One, two, three. Really? All right. Well, I would love to, to get to play with you with those things. Sounds like it was a great time, and I uh, hope that you have a great week uh, to come, enjoying those blessings. Um, now, kids, one, one thing I want you to do today, there's some, some blanks on the outline in your bulletin. If you have one of those bulletins, I want you to work really hard to pay attention and to follow along and to fill in those blanks, okay, as we go. Well, this morning, we're going to continue to think about giving gifts, but we're not going to think anymore about the gifts that we gave to others or about the gifts that others gave to us. We're not going to think about gifts that, that was the case this past week given because of Christ. We're going to think rather today about gifts given by Christ. You know, Christ has given us many amazing gifts. We celebrated this past week the, the gift of Himself, the fact that Christ gave Himself to rescue us. And, and He's given us many other gifts as well, His Spirit and His, His Word. This morning, I'd like for us to look together at a, a passage that describes one particular gift that Christ has given to His church. I'd like you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4 with me this morning. Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to focus our time on verses 11 to 13 this morning. Now, the broader context of this passage is, is Christ outlining His plan for the church, how the church is to function and grow in unity. Part of that plan is Christ giving gifts to the church so that that plan can be fulfilled, and that's what we find in verses 11 to 13. Follow along with me as I, I read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13. It says, And He, Christ, gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, 
for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. In our text today, we're going to see three truths about Christ's gift to the church. The first of those is the occasion of Christ's gift to the church. When was this gift given? What was the occasion? Well, this past week when you gave and received gifts from others, the occasion was Christmas. It was the celebration of of the coming of Christ as a baby, as the gift that God had given to us, His Son. Well, in this passage, we see a a different occasion. These are not gifts given for Christmas. Rather, he says back in in verse 11, and he gave. It's actually referring back to the the theme that he has begun in this section back in verse 7. And it's describing the victorious ascension of Christ. Look back at verse 7 and following, just briefly. He's picking up on this theme from verse 7, but to each one of us, Grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Verse 8, therefore it says, When he ascended on high and led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also. He who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. Now, this passage, particularly verses 9 and 10, are, are a bit complicated, so I think I'll, I'll let Eric give you all those details down the road a little bit uh, in the future here. But the main idea is clear in verse 8, where it describes, the, the quoting from, uh, from one of the Psalms, the reality that, uh, that Christ ascended leading captives and, and giving gifts to men. Again, there's some challenges in his, his use of the psalm there, but the picture is clear. It's of a, a conquering one dispersing gifts or dispersing the spoils that have been won as he returns victorious. Picture a, a general, Roman general or a, an ancient king riding back to, to his people after having defeated the enemy. And he comes and, and he's leading some captives who have, have been, uh, been prisoners of war that, that have been captured. And he's got spoils that he's taken. Maybe it's cattle or sheep or clothes or, or gold or, or whatever it is. And he's dispersing those spoils to his people as he returns victorious. That's the picture. Here Christ is that victorious one returning with captives and and displaying the spoils and giving generously from what He has won to others. Now, it describes how before He ascended victoriously, He descended. And that's what there's been a lot of ink spilled about where and and when and how. I think it's best to understand it as referring simply to the fact that he, He came down in His incarnation that we studied last week in Philippians 2, and, and through His death and, and resurrection, He conquered sin and Satan and, and death. And then He returned exalted as the victorious One to heaven to rule and to reign, as we saw even in Philippians 2. And, and Paul had really described that reality already earlier in Ephesians 1. If you flip back to chapter 1, verse 20, it speaks of how Christ, when He 
raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the ones to come, one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That's what Paul's referring to again in in verse 4. The fact that God has exalted Christ, that he now rules and reigns over all, that all things are in subjection to him. Not fully yet, that will come at his return, and yet he's risen as the conquering, victorious one. So what's the occasion for Christ's gifts to the church? It's that He is victorious. That He is the one who has conquered and now He is showering gifts on His people. And He is doing so so that His purposes as the sovereign ruler of all so that His purposes will be fulfilled. So we see the occasion of His gift is is His victorious ascension to glory. Well, what did Christ give the church? As we've seen or talked about already, there's many things that we could focus on, but this text draws our attention to one in particular. And so the second truth that I want us to consider this morning is the specifics of Christ's gift to the church. Look back at verse 11. As he ascended victoriously, it says, and he gave, and he gave what? He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. What was Christ's gift to the church? What did He wrap up for the church to to open and enjoy and benefit from? Well, He gave gifted leaders to the church. See, the, the risen, exalted Christ who has returned to heaven has given the gift of gifted men, of gifted leaders to the church to carry out His purposes in this world. You know, back in verse 7, Paul described how every believer has been given a gift, an undeserved gift of Christ's grace. And here he draws attention to the fact that some of those gifts have been given to those who are to serve as leaders in the church, to, to enable them to function in the role that God has given. Paul lists four or five different groups of gifted leaders here that Christ has given. He begins and says he gave some as apostles. You're, you're likely familiar with, with the apostles, those who, were, uh, who were, were called of Christ. It literally means to be sent out. The apostles who were official representatives of Christ after his ascension were those who had, had seen his resurrection, who had, had been with Christ, and whom he left to establish the church. Occasionally others who, who weren't with Christ are used by that designation as a, a sent out one, men like Barnabas and others. God gave those men to the church. And he gave, secondly, prophets. You're, you're again, familiar with that, those from the Old Testament that we, we remember who were, were speaking the message of God on behalf of God to his people. Sometimes telling what would come in the future, many times just exhorting the people with what God's will, His revealed will was for them at that season. In the New Testament time, there were also prophets. Those, again, declaring the, the, the revealed will of God, exhorting the church. This was particularly important prior to the completion of the New Testament. As Scott mentioned earlier this morning, we, we know God's revealed will now because we have Scripture. 
But the early church didn't have a Bible. They didn't come and say, turn to Ephesians 4. There was a, a prophet who might speak God's revealed will to them. Apostles and prophets were given to the early church to lay the foundation for the church. Paul referred to this back in Ephesians 2, verses 19 to 21, when he said, You are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. The, prophet, the prophets and apostles were laying the foundation of the church that we are now built on today. I believe these foundational gifts uh, that, that were given were for that particular period of the, the early church, and as the church was established and as the New Testament canon was completed, they have, have ceased to be uh, a need for the church, and therefore there are no more uh, apostles and prophets today, but we are still built on the foundation they put in place, primarily the revealed Word of God, the New Testament that they inspired. So Christ gave us a gift. As He uh, ascended victoriously, He's given us a gift of the apostles and prophets and, and the continuing benefit of the, the writings that those men have left us. But thirdly, He says, he gave the gift not only of apostles and, and prophets, but of evangelists, some as evangelists. This is used in the New Testament only a couple of times. It describes Philip as the evangelist. Probably the, the closest connection today would be those who are, are missionaries taking the gospel to places in the world where it has not been named, or those who are just particularly gifted in evangelism in, in their own local area. I think of, of Hal Green a man who founded this church and, and who was a gifted, gifted evangelist. He had a zeal for evangelism and an effectiveness in evangelism that was, was amazing. In fact, at least growing up, we used to, to talk about somebody who had been howled. It became a verb that, that he had led them to Christ as a, a gifted evangelist. God's given men like that to the church to bring people in to be a part of the church, to lead them to faith in, in Christ, to add those to the church. Christ has given apostles and prophets and some as evangelists and some, he says, as pastors and teachers. In the New Testament, that, that term pastor is used interchangeably with the idea of an elder or a bishop or overseer. Not, not different roles, but just different names for the same role. And there's some debate about in this text whether he refers to pastors and teachers as two separate groups or, or really as two different aspects of, of one person's role. You'll see how before all the other roles, he said some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors, but he doesn't say and some as teachers. And so it's, it's possible even likely that he's referring to two functions of one role, of pastoring, of shepherding, and of teaching. And so it may be that we could describe this as one category, the, the pastor-teacher that he has given to the church, the pastor-teachers. He may have been implying just that they were overlapping, but not, not always the same. Certainly there are those who are gifted teachers who don't serve as pastors or not gifted as pastors. But in this case, again, I think it's likely that he's referring to, to pastors who teach. You know, as we look towards this next year, and, and as Scott shared earlier in the service, 
we rejoice that God has given Cape Bible Chapel a gift of another pastor teacher. He's given a, a lead pastor teacher, Eric Coer. He's a gift of Christ to you. Hope you rejoice and, and thank God for him and for the other gifted men that the Lord has, has brought to this church over many years. We thank God for the foundation of the apostles and prophets, for the work of evangelists, those who've, who've brought us and others into the church through evangelism, and then for those faithful pastors and teachers who have shepherded and instructed the church. No, it's, it's right to appreciate these men. 1 Thessalonians 5.12 says, We request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. But don't forget that they are a gift from Christ. Their giftedness is not a credit to them, as, as Scott even mentioned. It's not about Eric or about your other pastors or elders. Their giftedness is a gift from Christ, undeserved by them. And, and so your appreciation should be demonstrated to them, yes, but more so it should cause you to exalt Christ. Thank Him and praise Him for His gift of them to the church. Why has God given gifted men to the church? Why has He given gifted leaders to the church? Pastors and, and, and elders, evangelists, apostles, and, and prophets. What's the purpose of Christ's gift to the church? The third truth, the purpose of Christ's gift to the church. You know, it's easy for many churches to assume that that Christ has given leadership to the church to do the work. <laughs> to, to say they're here to do ministry on behalf of us, representing us in our community and in our, our world. And they're here to serve us as a congregation. And, and that's been the case often throughout church history. Sometimes because leaders have wanted that authority and wanted that control. Sometimes because congregations have, have not wanted to be engaged themselves. That's why we hire pastors to, to do those things for us. But that's not Christ's plan for the church. Notice why he gave them in verse 12. It says, He gave them, verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Paul here gives first the, the immediate goal or the specific function that these gifted men are to play in the life of the church. And he, he says it's, it's for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. To equip means to be prepared or, or trained. To be brought to a condition of being able to perform fully the, the role that something has. So while, while gifted leaders are to work and work hard, their work is to be about equipping others. Which makes sense because it's, it's certainly the case biblically that all members of the body of Christ have an important role to play regardless of their particular gift. That's what we saw even back in verse 7 when it says, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift to each one of us. See, leadership aren't the only ones who've been given gifts. Every member of the body of Christ has been given gifts and all of those gifts are vital to the functioning of the whole. If we, if we had time this morning, we could turn to, to 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul gives the analogy of a body, and how every member of his, of his church has been given a gift and plays a role and functions together as a body. And he compares that to our human body. How every part of the body, our human body, is important and plays a role. 
And we can't fully function as God intends without any one part of our body. I, I learned this the hard way in, a, in, in May. I was on a mission trip to India and, and uh, was having a great time with about 100 uh, kids and youth at a pastor's conference. And, and I was running up to the stage where we did some stuff. And, and I'm, I, I was not as graceful as I should be. And my toe got caught on the edge of the stage and it bent really funny, and it swelled up really quickly, and I slammed down on the stage and broke my phone, and, and my toe was incredibly sore. It's just a toe, right? I mean, of all things, if you, if you started listing important body parts, toe would be pretty far down the list, right? Well, I learned that toes are important, that that big toe had a big part in, in how I could function, and so I'm limping around, trying to, to keep up with all these kids and these things. When one body part isn't functioning well, the whole body suffers. That's true physically, and that's true within the body of Christ. See, there's to be no spectators in the church. Now, we're used to, to that in our culture. We gather, we pay money to go and watch professionals perform, whether that's athletes who are performing or or musicians in a concert setting. That's not to be the mindset of the church. We don't gather to watch professionals. We, we're to be involved ourselves. We're used to, to paying professionals to do work for us. You know, we pay people to teach our kids piano or swimming or to fix our car. I, I had a, a guy out to paint the outside of my house before we came up to Texas for, uh, or from Texas for Christmas. And, you know, in those cases, I'm really thankful that his role was not to equip me to do the work. I didn't pay him large amounts of money to, to teach me how to paint the outside of my house and to tell me, no, that's not quite right. You need to fill in this spot too. No, I paid him to do it. And it was great fun to sit inside and know he's working and I'm not. But that's not, that's not how the church is to work, is it? No, we're, we're not to be on the sidelines watching others do the work. He says the goal of leadership is to equip the saints, all the saints, for the work of ministry. Church leadership are, are not here to do the work while the rest of us watch. They're not here primarily to serve us. They're primarily here to equip us to serve one another. What's that mean practically for a church like Cape Bible Chapel? Well, think of your, of your pastors, of your pastor teachers, of those who God has given to you. Guys like, like Jeremy, your children's pastor means he isn't intended to be the only guy in the church seeking to impact kids here at the chapel, right? You can't sit back and say, man, I'm so glad Christ has given us Jeremy to interact with and teach these kids. No, he's intended to equip many of you as, as parents and as others who, who are and will come alongside and, and serve in those ministries together. Or think of Andy, your youth pastor. Can't just say, man, I'm, I'm glad we got somebody who likes teenagers, who can love them and teach them, that's great. So thankful that Andy can do that. No, it's, it's, it's God's intent that he comes alongside and equips us as a, as a body, equips parents and, and others who will serve alongside him. Or, or Jeff, he's not intended to be the only guy worshiping that you come in and watch. He's intended to equip you, to lead you, to actively participate. Your new lead pastor, Eric, isn't intended to come and do it all. Can't sit back and say, I'm sure glad we finally hired a new lead pastor so that he can, he can shepherd and care for the flock and counsel and disciple and, and do ministry. He's coming to do those things. 
But more than that, he's coming to equip you to participate in that work. I love how that verse in 1 Thessalonians 5, go ahead and turn over there if you, if you will. 1 Thessalonians 5, that text that, that reminds us to appreciate and, and esteem those in leadership who are working hard, I, I love how it transitions. Verse 12 says, We request of you, brethren, speaking of all the congregation, appreciate those who labor among you and have charge. Verse 13, esteem them very highly. But verse 14 says, And we urge you, brethren, he's talking to everybody again, the whole congregation, all of you, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Say, wait a minute, aren't those things pastors are supposed to do? Well, yes, but they're things everybody is supposed to be doing. We're all to be involved and engaged in the work of ministry. John MacArthur writes this. He says, No pastor or even a large group of pastors can do everything a church needs to do. No matter how gifted, talented, and dedicated a pastor may be, the work to be done where he is called to minister will always vastly exceed his time and abilities. His purpose in God's plan is not to try to meet all those needs himself, but to equip the people God has given into his care to meet those needs. Obviously, the leaders share in serving, and many of the congregations share in equipping, but God's basic design for the church is for the equipping to be done so that the saints can serve each other effectively. The entire church is to be aggressively involved in the work of the Lord. Again, that doesn't mean that everyone's role looks the same. There's different gifts, and, and we're called to different ministries, some more formal than others, but it, it does mean everyone has a role. If you're a part of the body of Christ, if you're a part of this local body, you play a role. You've been gifted and, and called to serve one another, and you, God has given you leadership to equip you to do that faithfully and to do that well. How are pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry? What should you expect of those men that God has given you in leadership? Well, well they primarily equip you through the ministry of the Word. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, a familiar verse, reminds us in verse 16 of 2 Timothy 3 that all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. God has given His Word to equip us. It, it teaches us, it corrects us, it reproves us, it trains us that we can be equipped, equipped to, to serve, to fulfill the good works that God has given us. Because of that reality, Paul charges Timothy in chapter 4 with this. He says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing in His kingdom as a, as a pastor, you preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. Is that what you, what you want? A pastor to, to come and preach the Word, to equip you with His words? I, I'm confident it is. 
That's, that's the man that you have, are bringing in to preach the Word to you. Sometimes that's not fun. You notice the words he used there? He says, preach the Word, which means reprove and rebuke. Is that pleasant? <laughs> you like being reproved and rebuked? No, not really. It's not fun. But it's, it's good for us. And we're to long for that. Sometimes you leave a sermon and you feel beat up a little bit in love and, and grace and patience, but it's like, man, that's a good thing. It's equipping you. It's strengthening you. It's, it's, it's growing you in those ways. We're not to want to be entertained, but equipped. It takes place in the public preaching of the Word, but also in smaller groups and individual interaction as, as God's Word is brought to bear on on our lives. Pastor teachers equip through the ministry of the Word, but they do so also through prayer. In Acts 6.4, the apostle says, we will devote ourselves to two things, to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Epaphras is given an example, as an example of this in Colossians 4.12. He was laboring earnestly in his prayers that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. He was praying for the growth and health of others. That's what, what leaders are to do, what each of us is to do, to be praying for one another. Leadership equips you also through their, their oversight. In 1 Peter chapter 5, it describes how elders are to shepherd the flock among you, exercising oversight. There's that leadership equips you, puts you in positions to serve well by giving oversight to the congregation. I think you, you see this as an example in Acts chapter 6. You remember the apostles who were leading the early church. They saw an issue. That issue was there were Hellenistic Jews and there were native Jews and, and the widows of the, of the Hellenistic ones were being overlooked as food was being distributed. And so the apostles, as ones giving oversight and leadership of the church, they saw that problem and they, they came up with a solution and they, they got some men together who could, could work and serve and use their gifts to meet that need and, and to resolve that issue. That's what church leadership does. They, they see issues and challenges and they, they direct solutions to meet those needs within the life of a congregation. They equip you also, through their example, that same passage, 1 Peter 5, says they're to shepherd the flock among you, not uh, exercising oversight, not as lording it over, but proving to be examples to the flock. See, we, we can be equipped by leadership as we observe their life and character, as we observe them fulfilling their, their giftedness and, and using their gifts to serve others. Again, Paul's not saying that pastors or teachers aren't to do the work of service. They are. They're just to do it alongside the rest of the body as an example that all are getting involved and benefiting. So the immediate purpose or, or goal of this gift is that the saints are equipped for the work of service. That's why God's given gifted leadership to this congregation so that every member is equipped and built up. Every member is involved serving one another. But that's not an end in itself. There's an ultimate goal that Paul points out for us in verse, uh, the end of verse 12 and end of verse 13. Notice he says, He's given them for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. The ultimate goal is not just that everybody's busy doing something. The ultimate goal is that the body of Christ 
is built up. It's, it's a construction analogy mixed with a, a, a living thing analogy of a body. We're, we're building up the body as we would build a building, and the body is growing and becoming increasingly healthy and mature. And he says the body needs to be built up, verse 13, until we all attain to something, until we all reach or arrive or attain at the ultimate goal. Notice he says, until we all, every one of us, until we all reach a goal. And in verse 13, he he highlights kind of three different phrases of what we are to attain, all of which come back to the same idea, that of, of maturity. I think Paul puts it a little more simply in Colossians 1.28 when he says, We proclaim Him, admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom, that we may present every man complete in Christ. That's the goal. All of the body of Christ built up and established and mature. Back in Ephesians 4, he, he gives some specific ways to recognize that maturity. Notice verse 13. Until we all attain first to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. What's it look like for this body to be built up? It means there's a a growing unity of the faith. This is not subjective faith that we trust in something. This is objective. It's unity of the faith. The the body of truth. The the doctrine that is revealed for us in Scripture. It's it's what Paul was referring to back in verse 5 when he says we have one faith. We all believe the certain truth about God and and about man and about Christ that's revealed in His Word. For the body to be built up means we have a growing unity of that faith and a growing unity of our knowledge of the Son of God. That faith is centered around the person of Christ. For each of us to to be growing in our unity and our understanding of Christ. So until we all attain that, and then secondly, until we all attain to a mature man. He, He uses we here, plural, we all attain to a mature man, singular. So I don't think he's talking about each of us becoming mature in and of ourselves, in our little silos, but he's saying we as a body become a mature man. That's God's intent in the church is we are one man in Christ, one body, and that body is to become mature. That's the the intent, that this local body of Christ is functioning in maturity. And what's that maturity look like? Well, the last thing he says is that we do so to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. When this body grows up to be big and strong and demonstrating the reality of Jesus. When this local body of Christ, individually and corporately, pictures the fullness of Christ, that's when the plan is fulfilled. Now, is that ever going to happen in this life fully? No. (laughs) And really it shouldn't because there should constantly be new body parts being added to the church, right? And so there's always more increase in maturity. Even those who've been a part of the body of Christ for years are continuing to mature and grow. But this church can reach, and any church can reach, a level of of overall maturity that reflects this, still looking forward to the day when Christ comes back and we are ultimately made mature. 
Christ has given gifts to the church, gifted men to equip the body so that the church can grow to maturity to reflect Christ. You know, it's a a joy to be here in part because my my family came to Cape Bible Chapel when I was in the the sixth grade, about 23 years ago. And so it's a a great joy to be back. And, uh, you know, that was the first time when we came to this church that we were involved in a church that really embraced Christ's plan for the church that was described in these verses of gifted men equipping the body for works of of ministry. I remember early on seeing a a church directory, and it it said on the front, equipping to serve for Cape Bible Chapel. And and there were some fun pictures of some of you in that directory. Um, But that was the the motto of this church, and, and I saw that continues to be on the informational brochure out in the the foyer and for good reason and I remember seeing that played out in the life of of this church and bearing fruit in my own life anyways I'm I'm here today because gifted men at Cape Bible Chapel equipped me to do the work of service that's the plan for the church that Christ the victorious one the one who conquered and and defeated Satan and death has given gifted men gifted leaders to the church And he's given them to equip each of us for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. You know, for that to happen well, it really only takes a couple of things. Christ is going to fulfill his part, right? It takes those gifted men, those gifted leaders, committing to using the gifts Christ has given them to equip the saints for the work of ministry through the word and prayer and and faithful oversight and example. Pray for the leaders in your church to that end, that they will do that and do that well and expect them to do that. When your pastor reproves you in a sermon, don't shrink away and think, no, say, that was great. (laughs) We need that. And it takes, secondly, a, a body full of believers who are eager to be equipped and eager to engage in the work of service. Come eager to be built up yourself to be, to be grown to maturity yourself and eager to plug in serving one another for the good of the body, for the glory of Christ. I pray those two realities will characterize Cape Bible Chapel this next year as Eric comes and, and for many, many years to come. Let's pray together. Father, thank You that You are a gracious God that you have given amazing gifts to us, though we don't deserve any of them. And, and Lord, this season we've been reminded of the gift of your Son. And, and in this passage, we've been reminded that he has not left us, that as he returned exalted, he has given us all that we need to grow and to fulfill the plan that he has left for us. Lord, he's given us his word and his spirit, and he's given us gifted men, gifted leaders to equip the body for the work of service. I pray that would be what characterizes this church, that you would use the the leadership that you have raised up here to equip the saints, that the saints here would be eager to be equipped and eager to engage in ministry, that that would be done to to the building up of the body of Christ here, that Christ would be increasingly on display in this place and, and in this community. We pray to that end for your glory in Christ's name. Amen.